The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We'll head to the Alberta legislature now. Uh, first up, it looks like uh, Rebecca Schultz, the Minister of Children's Services. We'll head there now. Hello. Thank you so much for being here today. I do want to speak uh, today on behalf of myself, uh, on behalf of Children's Services, but also the work being led by my colleague, uh, Minister Sani. I do want to assure Albertans that we're doing everything we can to protect people who are struggling with homelessness, women and children fleeing domestic violence, and those who need access to food and other necessities. We are incredibly fortunate that there are no confirmed cases in the shelter system of COVID-19, but we must continue our efforts to protect vulnerable people here in Alberta. Our government acted quickly to increase financial support for emergency social services, announcing $60 million to support homeless shelters, women's shelters, civil society organizations, charities, and not-for-profits. Of that, $30 million will be provided to charities, not-for-profits, and civil society organizations. To date, Community and Social Services has received more than 800 applications. Effective today at 6 p.m., we are suspending applications for this funding so that CSS can assess the urgent requests and begin to get the funding into the hands of those who can do the most good with it. The other $30 million of this funding has been distributed to homeless shelters and women's shelters throughout the province. Homeless shelter operators have activated 14 new shelter facilities to ensure shelter users who are well and not showing symptoms can practice physical distancing. Additional shelters are now operational in Edmonton, Calgary, Red Deer, Lethbridge, and Grand Prairie. We are working closely with municipalities, shelter operators, and local AHS officials to identify and begin to use hotels and motels as assisted isolation centers. We now have identified nearly 200 hotel rooms to shelter people who test positive for COVID-19, in addition to the 200 spaces at the Expo Centre in Edmonton. Most of these hotels are now operational and accepting clients. As always, housing is a top priority for helping at-risk individuals out of poverty, so we continue to focus our efforts on moving people out of the shelter system and into their own homes. Shelter operators and community-based organizations are leading this important work, and since this crisis began, more than 400 people have now found housing. This is a priority for our government, and we will continue to work closely with our partners to ensure we can make continued progress in this area. In the same way, we know children may be abused or neglected in this extremely stressful time, which we will speak about in a few moments. We know that during a crisis like this, there will be an increase in domestic violence. So we have provided grants totaling $5 million to women's emergency shelters, second stage shelters, elder abuse shelters, and family violence counseling and outreach programs across the province. Funding will be used to help families access hotel rooms for safe isolation, to pay for food, transportation, and other important needs. Shelters can also use this money to hire temporary staff to improve access to their services and ensure the supports they offer align with physical distancing requirements. Finally, we are focused on filling gaps that may not have existed before in terms of food security and nutrition for vulnerable children and families. That is why we are providing $5 million to support Alberta's food banks 
and other organizations across the province who focus on addressing food access so that kids do not go hungry. To date, 121 applications for food-related funding have been received. We are currently reviewing these applications and will make final decisions on this funding very soon. Overall, we are incredibly encouraged by the successes of our community partners in providing shelter, food, and necessary services to people in need during this COVID-19 pandemic. And we are incredibly grateful to everyone who has stepped up to care for others in these very uncertain times. In government, we will continue to be responsive to the diverse needs of Albertans in the coming months. And I certainly look forward to providing further updates on these efforts as they become available. I also want to speak a bit today about child abuse and neglect. As expected, with daycares, schools, and community centers being closed across the province, Children's Services has seen a significant drop in reports of child abuse and neglect. While the majority of concerns that are typically brought to the ministry's attention do not result in children coming into care, we do know that parents and families, especially vulnerable parents and families, are struggling right now, right across Alberta. This pandemic has intensified many of the factors that lead to child abuse, maltreatment and neglect. Job uncertainty, loss of income and social isolation will only aggravate situations where children already may be at risk. Minister LaGrange and I reached out to educators a few weeks ago and asked them to keep an eye out for children in potentially unsafe situations at home. But we continue to work with our nonprofit service providers and recognize that they're already doing some incredible and innovative work to reach out to these families. Uh, they're providing an excellent job in this area, but we also want to reach out and work together on new ways of finding and helping these children that we may not have previously been aware of. Please be extra vigilant in your neighborhoods and in your communities. We need your help to recognize where children may be at risk and where we need to reach out to help them. Be aware that children around you may be in difficult situations at home. A child in distress may complain of hunger, lack clean or proper clothing, show signs of anxiety or physical abuse or neglect. Please visit alberta.ca and search for other warning signs of child abuse and be aware that if you believe a child is at risk, it is your legal obligation to report it. You can do that by calling with immediate concerns uh, at the child abuse hotline, which is 1-800-387-KIDS. That's 1-800-387-5437 or call 911. The hotline is open 24 seven, 365 days a year. With that, I'll hand it over to Dr. Hinshaw for today's daily update. Thank you, Minister. Good afternoon, everyone. We have confirmed an additional 187 cases over the last 24 hours, bringing the total number of cases in Alberta to 3,095. Of these, 1,273 people have recovered. I am sad to report two additional deaths today, bringing our total to 61. One of these deaths involved a resident from High Prairie's J.B. Wood Continuing Care Centre. I want to offer my sympathies to the family and friends of these two individuals. As of today, there are 367 cases in continuing care facilities across Alberta from 29 active out outbreaks. 
we continue to closely monitor another outbreak, sorry, the, the outbreak I've previously mentioned at Cargill, where 401 cases have now been confirmed. At JBS, where 77 cases have now been confirmed, as well as the outbreak at the Curl Work Camp. Employees at the Curl Work Camp who are currently on site are being swabbed this week as an added measure for outbreak control. Similar testing is being offered to workers at Cargill and JBS. We currently have 20 confirmed cases at the Curl Work Camp as previously reported and as I've mentioned earlier we are working with other partners in provinces across the country to determine where there may be other cases. As a precaution with respect to the Curl Work Camp, all workers who were at that location prior to April 16th when the outbreak was confirmed and control measures were put in place must self-isolate for 14 days after they left the camp. This is important because these workers may have been exposed without being aware and they could be incubating and they must be watching for signs of illness and call 811 or go online to do the AHS self-assessment if they develop any of the following signs of illness, fever, cough, shortness of breath, runny nose or sore throat. Starting today, we will be posting the location and facility name of active outbreaks in the province in continuing care long-term care and acute care sites. I know the word outbreak may seem alarming, especially when there are a number of them and when some of them show a large number of cases. But it is important to remember that the outbreaks we are posting are any sites where we have seen two or more cases. This is usually an indication that transmission has occurred within that facility. Even before this happens, public health is involved with facilities because all congregate care sites in the province are required to report to public health if they have even one resident or staff with a COVID symptom. A precautionary outbreak is declared if even one staff or resident is confirmed to have COVID. Having this low threshold for reporting and outbreak measures ensures that public health is immediately involved to support the facility to protect residents and staff from spread of the virus. An outbreak is declared over only when four weeks have passed with no new cases. Right now, we have only listed outbreaks on our website in continuing care and acute care facilities. However, our goal is to expand to other settings in the weeks to come. I will continue to update you on new outbreaks with unusual circumstances in these daily updates. In the months since cases first emerged from Wuhan, we have experienced a large volume of information being thrown at us. I appreciate many may feel overwhelmed and unsure of what's important to know and what information has changed. One constant question that comes up to me is about the use of masks and when and where they should be used. In order to better understand my advice on this, it is important to understand how the virus spreads. We know the virus spreads by droplets that can be produced by coughing and sneezing, but also by talking, laughing, and even singing. This is with a person who has COVID-19. It is also spread by touching contaminated objects or surfaces and then touching your eyes, nose, or mouth. My advice is to stay at least two meters away from others, and this is because of this spread by droplets. Droplets do not stay in the air for long periods of time or long distances. 
This disease is not passed through airborne transmission, with some exceptions for specific procedures in medical settings that can generate aerosols. In other settings, staying at least two meters away from others, cleaning and disinfecting frequently touched surfaces and regular hand washing are protective measures. What we also know is that people who are infected can start to spread the virus to others in the day or two before their symptoms start. This is where masks come in for the general public. If those who are not able to maintain a two meter distance from others during their day consistently wear masks, this reduces the chance that someone who is infected but not yet sick would spread the virus to others. I want to emphasize that mask wearing is in addition to, not a replacement for, all other guidance like regular hand washing, staying home when sick, and not touching your face. Also, masks need to be worn properly in order to work. They should cover both the mouth and the nose. They should be put on and taken off with clean hands and promptly disposed of or stored safely in a bag and then washed. Hands should immediately be washed after taking off a mask. As we head towards the second month since Alberta's first case was announced, I am hearing a lot of discussion about wanting to start opening up and getting back to more of a normal routine. I sympathize with this desire. I too want to get back to normal as soon as possible. The challenge we are facing is that in some ways we are a victim of our own success. We have collectively pulled together to reduce the spread of this virus and to a large measure we have succeeded. The temptation we need to resist is to think that because we haven't yet seen the spread that our model predicted, that means the problem has gone away. That is not true. The virus is still with us and we need to continue to take it very seriously, even as we start to think about reopening again. We can think about this virus as a tidal wave that could have swept in and left a trail of destruction behind. This didn't happen because we collectively formed a barrier by our actions to prevent the full force of this wave from striking us. As we start to change our behavior in planning to reopen segments of our society, we need to remember that the potential force of that tidal wave is still there. We will need to keep following core elements of the public health measures for many months to come. Even as we plan to open businesses, we need to seek a balance between minimizing virus spread and ensuring our society can function to support the best mental, physical and economic health of all of us. This means that we all need to stay committed to avoiding large gatherings, washing hands regularly, cleaning and disinfecting high touch surfaces, staying home when sick, keeping two meters of distance between us, and wearing masks in public when we can't keep two meters of distance between ourselves and others. We cannot take our success for granted and we need to continue being vigilant. We must keep collectively forming that barrier by our actions if we want to be successful in reopening. Every day through the actions we've collectively taken, through the experiences and research of others, we'll continue to learn more about this virus and its impacts. Learnings that will guide us in the future and improve our efforts to prevent the spread. I am grateful to Albertans for the way that we have responded to this challenge and protected each other. We need to build on our efforts and guard against complacency. This will be a team effort for many months to come. Finally, I'd like to reinforce that most of Alberta's family physicians continue to provide services during COVID-19. 
but that these services may be provided differently than in the past. Patients should continue to consult with their family physician for non-urgent health concerns, including chronic conditions and any new health concerns unrelated to COVID-19. I encourage patients to call their family physician's office first to determine how best to meet their needs, whether by telephone, virtual health appointment, or in person if required. If you have COVID-19 symptoms, the online self-assessment at AHS is your best resource. If you think you are having a serious or life-threatening injury or illness, go straight to an emergency department or call 911. If you have any COVID-19 symptoms and are having a medical emergency, please call 911 and inform them of your symptoms. By telling 911 when you call, it ensures you will get the care you need without putting others at risk. Thank you, and I'm happy to take questions. All right, we'll go to the phone line. Operator, could you put through the first question? Yes, first question is from Rafi Bujakanian with CBC. Go ahead, Rafi. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. You were just talking about the need to call physicians and sort of figure out, you know, what's the best way to consult, et cetera, and it might involve telehealth. And today we're hearing from Alberta's privacy commissioner that she is investigating the Babylon app and is recommending people to not use it until that investigation is completed. So, um, you know, what should people do? So I think the important thing is for people to reach out to their family doctor. Uh, typically that happens first by telephone to be able to have that consultation with the doctor and, and find out, depending on what symptoms they're having and what kind of care they need, whether that care can be provided over the phone um, and whether or not there are other virtual means besides the Babylon app, uh, given the, the concerns that you mentioned. I, I would defer to the Privacy Commissioner for that specific um, assessment. Uh, but again, I think there's certainly other ways of getting virtual care other than that particular app. So I would still recommend that Albertans reach out to their family doctor if they do have any health concerns that they need advice on. Operator, could you put through the next question? Next is Leanne Allison with Air 106. Go ahead, Leanne. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. We've seen some examples in um, other parts of the country, at least, with people getting together specifically to protest social distancing measures. And we've also seen a group in the Calgary area staging some protests against what they're calling a fake pandemic. So I was just hoping to get some comment from you, what you would say to the people who are staging these kinds of protests and spreading that messaging. So I would say that uh, the fact that we haven't seen a huge impact from COVID-19 here is a result of the work that we've done collectively to prevent the spread of this disease. Uh, I think you only have to talk to the family and friends of the people who've died from COVID-19 in this province or those who were in the ICU or hospital to know that this can be a very serious disease in some people. Uh, and so I think it's really important that we all collectively look to the best evidence and the best uh, kind of scientific research to guide our approach to this. I know that, again, as I mentioned in my remarks, this has been a long time of very significant changes from how we normally would 
interact with each other in our society. And I completely understand that people are frustrated and wanting to get back to a more normal routine. But you only have to look at places like Italy and New York to see what happens when the virus is not taken ser seriously and when measures are not put in place to have appropriate distancing. And we do not want that to happen in Alberta. And we're currently experiencing some significant outbreaks in a couple of places in the province. So again, ultimately, it really is up to all of us to work together to stop the spread of the virus, to protect ourselves, our families, and our neighbors. Because again, this virus kills people, uh, and it will kill many more people if we don't stop it from spreading. Operator, could you put through another question, please? Next is James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, James. Either can you tell us um, when we talk about the outbreaks at uh, High River and uh, the JBL plant, like how did the working conditions at those work sites, uh, how did they contribute to the spread of COVID-19 there? So what I understand from talking to my colleagues in Alberta Health Services, who are the medical officers of health and public health teams on the ground, who've been working with those plants and other work sites with respect to investigations when there are cases. Uh, with those uh, work sites in particular, there certainly are many workers who are on site during the course of a given day. Uh, and so with respect to the High River Cargill plant, um, again, my understanding from my colleagues is that the outbreak was identified and a worksite visit was conducted in early April to go through all of the different measures to prevent spread with respect to distancing barriers like plexiglass barriers, personal protective equipment. Um, but because there are so many people who go in and out of these plants, uh, it is possible that spread did occur before those protective measures were put into place, again, because there's a high volume of people. And I know in particular with respect to the High River plant, that many of the people who work there uh, also live in large households. They also, many of them were carpooling to and from work. Uh, and so I think that when we look at this outbreak, we need to look at the fact that the people who work there also potentially had exposures in other places. And we need to make sure that our efforts in terms of public health and stopping the spread are directed at all of those places where exposure may have occurred. Um, and certainly that is what's happening now with respect to the outbreak teams, both in Brooks and in High River. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. G'day, Dr. Hinshaw. A uh, question there about uh, Curl Lake you mentioned there. Um, obviously, they've implemented a lot of measures, both Imperial Oil has, and so has the camp operator itself. But it seems as though now we have 20 cases those measures actually didn't seem to have worked. Um, is there any more that they can do? And should Albertans and in fact workers at these camps believe these companies when they say that they have done all they possibly can? So with respect to the measures that have been put in place previously, uh, there certainly were uh, many measures and, and we issued a specific guidance document for work camps with respect to the measures that needed to be put into place. Uh, as soon as the cases that um, were identified to public health as having potentially been exposed at that work site, that work camp. Additional measures were put in place. So as of April 16th, uh, there were additional restrictions that were put in place at that particular work site where there is the outbreak. Uh, and so the fact that the number of cases that we've identified so far, um, really, again, we're still within that incubation period. So I expect that we will see several more cases because people who potentially were exposed 
during that time period before the additional measures were put in place uh, are in, in that time period now where they may start to so, show symptoms within 14 days of when they left that camp. Uh, so that's why we're issuing the advisory today that anyone who was in that camp prior to April 16th and has since left should be self-isolating with uh, making sure that they're not around others. And if they develop symptoms, they should be doing the AHS online self-assessment uh, to get tested. With respect to making sure that there are additional measures in place in other work sites, we need to learn from this particular outbreak and then pass those learnings on to other work camps. And so that is exactly what we're doing. We're working with Alberta Health Services and operators of work camps in the north to make sure that the measures that were put in place previously have additional strength uh, put on top of them based on what we've learned from this outbreak. And again, continually learning to do better every, every time we see any exposures happening. Operator, could you put through another question, please? This is Brianna Karsten-Smith with Global. Go ahead, Brianna. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I wanted to ask about um, some of the social distancing that we're seeing. I know yesterday you said that it can be a little bit confusing when we're saying stay home, but also go exercise. We're seeing a lot of people do social distance walks with friends. We're seeing people organize neighborhood parties on their driveways, even though they're six feet apart. Can you have a clear statement in terms of, is the statement avoid being with people you don't live with? So essentially what we're advi what I'm advising um, is to avoid contact with people that you don't live with. That's very simple. I think the, the challenge comes in that definition of contact. Uh, so I think if, if neighbors are outside standing on their porches and chatting with each other or um, you know, going for a, a social distanced walk where they're always within, you're farther apart than two meters. I think that's, again, those are low risk activities. The challenge comes when people start to pre-plan gatherings and you have lots of people maybe going to a place where they don't normally live or people are driving to kind of get together. It becomes harder and harder to maintain that two meter distance. So we are working on guidance for outdoor activities because we know that with the nicer weather upon us, uh, everybody wants to and should absolutely be enjoying the outdoors. And so we are working on guidance that will help make that a little bit clearer in terms of the things that people need to be considering as they're outdoors and wanting to interact with people in a safe way. So hopefully that will be coming out soon so that we can give a little more guidance other than the just that basic piece of avoid contact with people you don't live with, uh, stay two meters apart. And as you're interacting with people, again, try to not go too far from your neighborhood. So really wouldn't encourage kind of large gatherings of people where you all drive to one park, for example, but try to stay close within your neighborhood. Um, and again, two meters away from others. Thanks. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hello, uh, Dr. Hinshaw. Ontario Health officials said today that its new modeling predicts that the number of cases could be as low as 75% uh, lower than initial modeling. Can we expect similar numbers to Alberta? Uh, where are we along the curve and has the late May peak been revised? 
So I haven't yet seen our updated modeling in Alberta, so we'll, we'll wait to see that. What I want to remind people is that modeling is an estimate based on assumptions. And our previous modeling was based on an assumption that every person who was infected would pass the virus to one or two other people and it would continue to grow uh, in that manner. What we've seen in reality is a function of the behavior of Albertans pulling together, staying distant from each other, and keeping that number lower than one to two. What we've also seen is that in certain places, in certain types of gatherings, we've had a couple of cases accelerate into a much wider spread. And so we're seeing both the combined effort of all Albertans across the province um, with the fact that our numbers, our hospitalization and ICU numbers are lower than, than the modeling uh, had uh, suggested. So that's the combined effort of all Albertans. But we're also seeing in some other contexts the consequences where people, for multiple reasons, aren't able to spend all of their time two metres distant apart. Uh, so with respect to, again, the numbers, as I mentioned earlier, the modelling just tells us what to expect depending on our behaviour. So we could adjust the models to say, well, what happens if it's zero to one cases per every, it's uh, zero to one additional cases for every one case, and that number would be lower. But if our behavior doesn't match that, then it's our behavior that counts. So I think we need to, to move a little bit away from the modeling and really focus on what we're seeing in actuality and the fact that it's under our control to change what the real situation is, uh, and that's our responsibility collectively. We'll take uh, three more questions. Operator, could you please put through the put through the first question, please. This is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm going to start with a clarification, then ask a new question. So yesterday I asked if you could explain, explain why Canada, or sorry, the Calgary zone has such a high rate of cases. You said it was to do with High River, but that still leaves nearly a thousand other cases that we have more than the Edmonton zone, for example. Mm -hmm. Can you clarify the other reasons for Calgary zone's caseload? And new question. Last week, we were told that all residents and staff at care homes that had cases would be tested. Now we've been told by several care homes that that isn't happening. You've said our testing capacity is around 7,000 per day, but we aren't getting anywhere near that number. So what's the problem and why aren't your guidelines being followed? Sure. So for the first question, um, Calgary has been higher than Edmonton in terms of case numbers from the beginning of this outbreak. Uh, and in the early days, uh, the hypothesis that we had, um, given the fact that we know that a higher proportion of people from Calgary do travel internationally than those in Edmonton. So what we had uh, understood to be the driver of that early um, increase in cases there was really based on the traveling patterns. With respect to how that's unfolded since then, we know we've had several events in Calgary, the most recent of which is this outbreak uh, that's linked to both the Cargill plant but also to household spread within multiple large households in that community. Uh, we've also had several other um, events in Calgary. I've mentioned before there was the uh, household gathering where there was one international traveler uh, who subsequently infected uh, multiple people at that one gathering and there was subsequent spread from that. So we have seen some of those examples in Calgary where you have uh, one person or a couple of people who end up uh, spreading to quite a few more and part of the um, 
the subsequent impact of that, unfortunately, as we've had some community spread, is that it has gotten into more long-term care homes in Calgary than in other zones. So the collective impact of all of those different pieces is that you do see that increased number in Calgary. Uh, and unfortunately, um, that's again why we expanded testing in Calgary earlier than anywhere else in the province to anyone who had symptoms. And it's certainly something that we continue to look closely at to see if there are other reasons, but those are the reasons we've identified so far. With respect to testing, uh, so we did announce that anyone in a continuing care center that had an outbreak, a resident or staff, would be eligible for testing whether or not they had symptoms. And what I've also uh, advised to my colleagues in um, in those uh, who are working with those outbreak settings is that their clinical judgment will be really helpful in determining which of those settings there's most utility in offering those swabs to people who do not have symptoms. And so if there's an outbreak, for example, that has had no cases for two to three weeks, uh, then they're closer to closing than opening. And so having everyone in that facility swabbed, I'm not sure if you've ever had the opportunity to have a nasopharyngeal swab, but they are quite uncomfortable. Uh, so I've left it to the discretion of my colleagues, the local medical officers of health, to determine which facilities they feel that swabbing will be most effective in actually helping determine well, where the outbreak is at and getting it under control. So there may be some facilities where that's not uh, been determined to be helpful. And so I would encourage people who are at that facility, whether it's staff or residents who have questions, to talk to their site administrator and, and the administrator can speak to public health to determine whether or not their site is one that may benefit if they if they feel that, that they should uh, have access to that. Again, we've really left that to the local medical officers of health because um, we don't want to impose a test on someone who isn't likely to benefit from it. With respect to the overall numbers, so we did talk about the fact that we have the capacity to test up to 7,000 tests a day in the lab. We have opened our eligibility to any Albertan with symptoms. Uh, so one of the reasons that uh, I believe we're not seeing as many tests coming into the lab uh, is that our measures have been successful in preventing not just the spread of COVID but the spread of other respiratory viruses. So with the eligibility criteria wide open um, and anyone who has even a sore throat or cough or runny nose can have a test, uh, I would really encourage any Albertan who is sick to get tested because that's an important part of our ability to respond and know what's happening with the virus. But ultimately if there aren't that many people who are feeling sick, uh, then the demand just isn't there for that particular test. We are working to offer testing to anyone who's uh, been present at either the JBS plant site, the um, Cargill High River plant site, and the Curl Lake work camp. And so we do expect that the, the volume of swabs that will be coming in over the next week will increase. But our lab testing capacity really needs to be focused where it's clinically relevant. Uh, so I think it's less about the numbers of tests that are going through every day and focusing on uh, the efforts that we're doing to prevent spread and why we're focusing on people uh, in particular areas. But again, would really encourage any Albertan who has any symptoms of COVID to go through the online assessment and get tested. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, with issues of spread in households where people can't self-isolate, should the province separate positive cases from the rest of their households and put them instead in hotels or other types of accommodation? 
So that's absolutely a, a framework that um, has been worked out. And for example, in the outbreak in the High River area, uh, any households where someone is a case and they don't have the means to safely isolate away from the rest of the family, that's absolutely available to them and the processes for that are being uh, set up through Alberta Health Services and local primary care networks. Uh, so it is something that's underway and maybe I'll ask uh, Minister Schultz, that was part of the announcement that you had, so maybe I'll ask if you have any additional comments on that. Uh, specifically in our comments today uh, was more related to those populations who uh, are accessing supports through homeless shelters or emergency women's shelters and the Minister of Community and Social Services was working alongside community partners to ensure that there are supports uh, for those uh, who can't necessarily socially isolate um, and need uh, the resources to help them do that and so those are being worked out uh, the Minister continues to work uh, with our community organizations to make sure that people are aware uh, that those supports exist and can in fact access them. Excellent. Operator will put through the final question please. Last question is Carmen LaBelle with CTV. Go ahead Carmen. Thank you very much. Hi Dr. Henshaw. Can you hear me here? We can. Yep. Okay perfect. Thank you. Um, looking at the statistics there seem to be a lot more cases in North Edmonton compared to other areas of the city. Is that a concern and do you know why that might be? Uh, so we do look at our data to see if there are any patterns coming up um, and that particular uh, pattern isn't one that, that has come um, with respect to uh, the reasons why that might be. Uh, so it is something that we're looking into as, as uh, I mentioned we do kind of look at that data and, and see whether or not there's a link for example to sometimes there's a continuing care outbreak um, that may be a part of the numbers in a particular area. So that's something without, just off the top of my head, I'm not sure the locations of our continuing care outbreak uh, sites in Edmonton, but that could be something that's contributing to that. Uh, but again, that's, that's the, only, the only thing that I know of that would be responsible for a cluster in Edmonton. Excellent. Thank you all for coming. We will provide another update tomorrow afternoon and have a great day. So that is the news conference today with Dr. Dina Hinshaw, who is the uh, Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, and uh, she was joined by Rebecca Schultz, the Minister of Children's Services. If we take a look at the number breakdown for today, 187 new cases being reported, bringing the total to, to over 3,000. Um, the exact total is 3,095. We've had two more deaths, uh, bringing that number to 61 in the province. We've had uh, 1,273 people recover from COVID-19 in this province and um, interesting numbers here. We know we've been talking about this for a while now, continuing care, long-term care facilities. There are a total of 367 cases in and uh, 29 different uh, continuing care facilities uh, across uh, the province. And, and again, an outbreak is, is uh, if I remember correctly, it was two or more cases uh, in a facility. So those are the basic numbers from Dr. Hinshaw today. We'll